seriously popular. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. On count one, do you find the defendant guilty or not guilty of the murder of Baby A? Guilty. On count two, do you find the defendant guilty or not guilty of the attempted murder of Baby B? Guilty. On count three, do you find the defendant guilty... That was the moment that a neonatal nurse was convicted of killing seven babies and attempting to kill six more at the Countess of Chester Hospital. After a trial lasting over ten months, the jury of seven women and four men came back into Court 7 here at Manchester Crown Court a few minutes ago and returned their final verdicts. Guilty of murdering seven babies. Guilty of attempting to murder six babies. She was found not guilty on two charges of attempted murder. The jury could not reach verdicts on a further six charges of attempted murder. Today, on the day that Lucy Letby became the UK's most prolific child serial killer in modern times, we're here to bring you every detail of what happened in court, what it means and what happens next. And by what next, we mean were more babies targeted by Lucy Letby? Could she ultimately face even more charges? And what next for the hospital, who didn't act on the concerns of senior doctors for months. This is what Detective Chief Inspector Nicola Evans from Cheshire Police said immediately after the verdicts. This has been a long and emotional journey for all of the families involved in this case. I speak on behalf of the entire prosecution team when I say that all of their babies will forever be in our hearts. I would like to thank all of the families in this case for their exceptional resilience and strength throughout this entire investigation. Their composure and their dignity during this trial has been truly overwhelming. The investigation into the circumstances surrounding this case started in May 2017. Since that time, hundreds of witnesses have been spoken to by a team of dedicated detectives. Many of those witnesses have returned to court on numerous occasions to give evidence. Without their honesty and their support, the families would not have received the justice that they have received today. I cannot begin to imagine 
how the families in this case feel today. I just hope that today's verdicts bring all of them some peace of mind for the future and that we have answered some of the questions that they were looking for. Cheshire Constabulary will continue to support all of the families in this case in the coming days and weeks ahead. There will be a period of reflection as everybody comes to terms with what they've experienced here today. So Liz, you were sitting in the main court, Court 7, when these verdicts were announced. I was over in Manchester Magistrates Court in the annex mm -hmm. where most of the world's media were based, where this trial has been live streamed for the past, well, best part of 11 months now with jury deliberations as well. Just walk me through what you saw in court today. So we were called back into court around just before lunchtime, about quarter to one. Families of some of the babies involved were in court, media, police officers, obviously the barristers. It was incredibly tense, but what we should say, Caroline, is Lucy Letby actually wasn't there and neither were her parents. It's the first time Mr and Mrs Letby have not been in court, but it's not the first time Lucy Letby has not been in court. She's actually not been in court for several days. We know she is in the building, in the cells beneath the court, but she's been refusing to come up into the courtroom itself. She is yet another defendant found guilty who has not faced the jury or her victims. Yeah, it's, uh, it's this increasing trend amongst serious offenders who are found guilty of very serious crimes not to come up into the dock once they've been found guilty. One thing we should stress, Liz, that we've not been able to report up to now is that these verdicts didn't just come today. We have known for a number of days that the jury had found Lucy Letby guilty on some of the charges. Can you just explain how these verdicts have been delivered? So we actually heard that Lucy Letby was guilty of the first two charges relating to the insulin poisonings back on August the 8th. Three days after that, she was convicted of at least one murder and the verdicts have been coming in piecemeal since then until we could finally report them today. Welcome to episode 51, The Verdict. Back in October, in an innocuous courtroom here in Manchester, a judge, six barristers, numerous lawyers, court staff, journalists and police assembled for what was then predicted to be a six-month trial and a jury of eight women and four men were sworn in. Alongside them were the grieving parents and families of 17 babies. Some had lost children. Some had children with life-changing injuries. Others had children who'd escaped death and serious injury thanks to the heroic efforts of doctors and nurses. All of them had babies who were cruelly attacked in the very place they should have been the safest, on a hospital ward. And in a glass dock, flanked by three prison guards, stood a slight, mousy-haired woman, aged 33, who was dressed in a dark suit. Lucy Letby had been considered the consummate neonatal nurse, the nurse who always worked extra shifts when needed, the nurse who wanted to care for the sickest babies in intensive care, the nurse who offered to work the unpopular night shifts, the nurse who was always willing to watch over babies when other staff went on a break. The nurse who did every possible training course to further her skills. 
the nurse who was the poster girl for the hospital's premature baby fundraising campaign. Today, a jury, looking exhausted and emotional, decided that she's also the nurse who used her role to attack, harm and murder the most vulnerable people in our society. And what we can tell you today for the first time is that every baby Lucy Letby has ever cared for is now being reviewed. Officers have not ruled out that she will be charged with more serious crimes and an independent inquiry into how she got away with killing for so long could follow. So we heard there at the top of the episode, Liz, that Lucy Letby faced 22 charges relating to 17 babies. And what the jury decided today was that Lucy Letby used her role as a trusted, respected, competent nurse on the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital to attack and kill babies. Yes, she did. But what became increasingly apparent as we went along during the months of this trial was that there was not really any apparent motive for what she did. We did hear suggestions that she loved the attention that she got when babies collapsed. And we heard suggestions from the prosecution that she wanted Dr. A, the married doctor that she was Mm. infatuated with, to come running, that she liked the drama of it. She liked being in the thicker things. But There was not really, according to the police, any trigger that they found that prompted her to become this killer and behave in this way. And in fact, what we really just don't know is why she did any of this. Yeah, so for the parents, that's one massive question that remains unanswered. But what we do need to explain today, what we need to tell you now that this verdict has been delivered, is something that we've not been able to tell you before now. And that is that Lucy Letby's entire nursing career, which actually began in 2011, will now be reviewed. What that means is that every single baby Lucy Letby has ever looked after from 2011 to 2016 is now going to be looked at by Cheshire Police. And that's a big number, isn't it? That's a lot of babies. It's massive and we should make sure that we give context to this figure. The police have told us they will be looking at more than 4,000 babies. Now, that is every baby, Liz, that's ever come through Liverpool Women's Hospital, where Lucy Letby did placements as part Mm -hmm. of her training, and the Countess of Chester. So her career spanned 2011 to 2016. And what the police have calculated is that more than 4,000 babies could have been exposed to Lucy Letby in that time frame. And and that doesn't mean, Caroline, that she's necessarily harmed that many babies, of course. We should stress that, really. But the way the police described it to us is that it was more like a medical review. They feel like they owe it to the parents of every baby that was born and was treated on those units to check that nothing untoward happened to them. And at the moment, they're not jumping to any conclusions, but they have decided that they want to check what they call the footprint of her career. So they're going to go back right to the beginning and check the medical notes of every single baby that's been through both those units. And it was Detective Superintendent Cy Blackwell who sat down with us and explained to us exactly what that means. We are committed to looking at the full footprint of Lucy Letby and her career both at Chester and on placement in Liverpool at the Women's Hospital. 
So no stone again will be left unturned as we review every single case that we believe she could have had uh, any sort of footprint on or any sort of exposure to. And that is an ongoing position and any families that we feel may or may not require support, they will get that. And as soon as I or my team can say anything more, we will do, but the investigation is one and we're right to do it on a job like this. Do not leave anything to chance and look at the full period when she was operating as a nurse. So potentially we could be looking at further charges down the line? You can't rule that out? I can't rule it out, but also today and now is about the here and now and the verdicts and the guilt. We as an investigation team owe it to families, owe it to you know justice that we review everything, whether there are more or none at all. I mean, obviously you've got to do your job, but are you slightly fearful that today could be the tip of the iceberg? No, I'm confident that the main evidence or the main things in our investigation to date will have found them. But we need to satisfy ourselves and the public and any future families that nothing has been missed and the full career period has been thoroughly investigated. So I can't say we expect more, but on the same token, we don't rule it out and we'll investigate, rightly so, thoroughly, as long as it takes. What was really clear in the trial is that nothing happened in June 2015, or we've not heard any evidence that something happened in June 2015 that made her suddenly start attacking the children. I understand that. Only she knows, but we will thoroughly review to see if we can find, if you like, that ground zero. Um, you know, what has been presented before the court is our evidence thoroughly presented to date. As we review, we unpick everything across her career. Things like that may become a bit more clearer as to, you know, when she started, when she didn't. But I can't really speculate on that, but we will certainly look to find out everything in the full chronology of her career. So I suppose, Liz, what Cy Blackwell is saying there is that they don't know when Lucy Letby started attacking babies. Because they don't know why, because there's no smoking gun, there's no trigger, there's nothing that anyone can point to to say, ah, this was the moment, this is what happened, and this is when this horrendous... Spree killing spree started to happen they need to go back and as you said there is absolutely no suggestion that that many babies will have been harmed in any way and they also told us that any parents they do want to speak to about their baby's treatment between 2011 and 2016 they will already have made contact with yeah so uh, you know people should be reassured that if their child was born at the Countess, that if the police are concerned, they will have already made contact. But secondary to that is people are now saying that there should be a public or independent inquiry into why Lucy Letby was allowed to get away with what she did for so long. We know that the doctors were going to management repeatedly, but for whatever reason, that whistleblowing policy failed and families of babies involved in this case want to know why. Well, I mean, in terms of the whistleblowing policy, Liz, what was it from the data and from their experiences? The death rate was spiralling. And I think those questions are what people must ask, really, and the trial wasn't the right forum for that to happen. Um, None of the managers of the hospital were called to give evidence, but it's only right that the families get to know who 
was told what, who was asked what, who was asked to remove Lucy Letby, when, when, when exactly the doctors were raising concerns so that the truth of the matter comes out. And so, crucially, something like this can't happen again. We also know that some of those consultants have spoken out. And Liz, they've said babies should not have died. Action should have been taken sooner. Now, we'll be covering this much more next week. And certainly we know that the parents of baby L and baby M are calling for that inquiry. Now, you've spoken to them at length, Liz. They are the parents of the twin boys that Lucy Letby attempted to murder in April 2016. And they're actually the only twin boys involved in this case to survive. And they were so generous and so kind just to give up their time to speak to me. We are going to bring you their full interview in the next episode, but here's just a flavour of what they said. The higher management, they need to be held accountable. The doctors raised their concerns and they didn't act upon them. They dismissed them and it could have been prevented. It wouldn't have got to this stage if they'd acted upon those initial concerns. These are the answers we need, but that's a different part of the investigation. We have to wait for the hospital to answer those questions, but it could have been stopped. That's the fact. So they do need to be brought in front of a judge. Of course, we'll bring you any updates on any additional charges that Lucy Letby may face or any kind of inquiry on the podcast as soon as we know. Yeah, but for now... We know so much, Caroline, about what Lucy Letby did. You know, she was a killer, operating in plain sight on the ward, attacking the most defenceless people, premature babies in society. And Liz, she used innocent, you know, innocuous substances like air, milk, saline to attack and to kill. She completed courses, even, to gain more experience in complex nursing procedures, like giving medication down a long line. She completed the course in that just two weeks before she murdered baby A by injecting air down the long line. Those courses gave her, basically, more opportunities to harm. In addition, she offered to work the night shifts, to cover for colleagues, to come in at short notice. All of those things gave her more opportunities to kill. Liz, to her colleagues, she was helpful, willing, competent. In fact, they thought she was a safe pair of hands. And in fact, she was a killer. Now, after those verdicts today, we also heard from Pascal Jones from the Crown Prosecution Service on the court steps. She perverted her learning and weaponised her craft to inflict harm, grief and death. Time and again she harmed babies in an environment which should have been safe for them and their families. Parents were exposed to her morbid curiosity and her fake compassion. Too many of them returned home to empty baby rooms. Many surviving children live with permanent consequences of her assault upon their lives. Her attacks were a complete betrayal of the trust placed in her. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, 
And this is the price of paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow the price of paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We need to take you back now several years, five years, in fact, 2018, because we want to really just explore exactly how she was caught. It began with the arrival of a letter. Yeah, so the letter arrived on the desk of the then Chief Constable, Simon Byrne, at Cheshire Police HQ in Winsford. And pretty quickly, it found its way to Detective Superintendent Paul Hughes. Now, at that point, he was leading the major investigation team for the West Cheshire Syndicate that actually covered the Countess. Now, this letter would go on to change his life, the lives of the 60 detectives eventually brought into his team, and more importantly, actually, the lives of the parents of 17 babies born or cared for at the Countess of Chester Hospital. Paul was really generous with his time and he sat down with us and talked to us through what happened when he first opened that letter. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thanks for having me. Just first off, can you give us your reaction to the verdicts? My emotions are mixed, I think, today. It's the first time, I think, from an investigative point of view, we get to stand back and actually realise the gravity of actually what we've done. Um, and, and the gravity of this is it's exceptionally sad and, and really horrific. I'm very happy for the parents. And I think the only thing that would make me happier with that is if Lucy Letby would tell them why. I mean, obviously the trial heard that she did. She was obviously enjoying the attention mm. Have you come across anything else in her background that might have driven her to do this? No, she she clearly does love the attention. I think she's loved the intention of a trial as well. To reuse her own words, she is evil and she did this. Can I ask you about the investigation which you led and just the sort of moment, if you like, that it landed on your desk Mm. and how it began and when you realised if there was a moment when you realise what you might be dealing with? The letter had come in and the doctors, as you know now from the trial, had asked questions and the trust had done, in their view, what they could to answer them questions. And I think what they thought is, have we done enough here to satisfy the, the minds of the doctors and the nurses who are asking us the questions? Those investigations couldn't come up with a medical cause for what had happened, mm. but... They, they hadn't pointed necessarily anything particularly sinister. No. So it was just that it was a mystery. Yeah, it was a mystery. And I think they did the only thing they could think of doing is asking the police, do you agree or do you think there's questions to answer? The viewpoint, again, was just it's difficult for anybody to grasp. Did anybody there really think somebody here is trying to kill um, and killing neonatal babies? So it came to me and then I met with Stephen Breary and Rabbi Jayram 
and ask them to explain to me why I should or should not take this forward to be investigated. And it was then where they explained to me um, that babies in neonatal units, they come in and they grow and they go home. And although they are very, very fragile, Mm. very delicate babies that need care, there's no expectation of death. There's no expectation of collapse. And sometimes, very sadly, a child is born in a condition where they expect maybe the baby will die or they expect the baby will have long-term genetic conditions. But um, they know that and they tell the parents that and they explain that and they make all the provisions for the parents to be with the child day and night, maybe sometimes sadly through its last hours. But what happened with these sequences is the babies were collapsing unexpectedly. So all of a sudden, from a picture of strength and from a picture of health, babies were suddenly collapsing and dropping and they couldn't explain why to me in making that decision you know do you think that question has been answered sufficiently and putting myself in the shoes of a parent at that point and saying well would I accept that as an answer no I don't think it has been so we declared an investigation so as Paul said there the police weren't sure if they were investigating a crime at that stage But what they were investigating was whether a crime had been committed at all. So where did they begin? Well, the first job was to speak to the parents of the children who may have been affected. And Liz, just take a moment to let that sink in. So these parents had already faced this unbelievable trauma of losing their tiny baby or nearly losing Mm -hmm. their baby in this neonatal unit, which obviously had left them grief-stricken and and traumatised. But the grief of that experience was bad enough, clearly, but none of them had ever considered that those deaths or those near-deaths or those collapses or those illnesses were not natural. They had no inkling that someone had deliberately done anything to their children. So, it, I mean, it's, it's really unimaginable to think how they felt when they answered a knock on the door one day and a police officer is there to say this might be something else, that someone may have deliberately attacked their child. It must have been absolutely horrendous for them, so difficult for the officers to deliver that kind of news that actually, you know, someone may have deliberately hurt your baby who you thought had potentially died of natural causes or been injured through natural causes. It must have been such a difficult point in the investigation for them. And I don't think any of them at that point believed there was a crime, as we'd said. They just had to look at whether a crime may have been committed. But in truth, as we now know from talking to all of the officers, Mm -hmm. no one really did at that point think anything was amiss. They just had to look for the truth. That was what they had to do. They had to find the truth. So, Caroline, the next step Paul told us was that he contacted the National Crime Agency and, with their help, appointed an expert to review the medical notes of a select number, around 30 babies, that they thought could have collapsed unexpectedly or died. And 
anyone that's listened to the podcast will remember that the main prosecution expert in the case was a guy called Dr. Dowie Evans, who is a retired eminent paediatrician. Now, he was in the witness box for many days, and that's because he was the one that initially reviewed the medical notes of all the babies. And he was also the one, Liz, that Ben Myers, KC, questioned really forensically. Oh, yeah. I mean, they had some... clashes (laughs) yeah (laughs) they definitely had some clashes over the course of the trial um but dr evans was asked to review thousands and thousands of pages of medical notes you know some of these babies in the case for example you know baby g who Mm. was the tiny tiny premature baby born at 23 weeks when her mum unexpectedly went into labor in a hospital toilet She'd been in a neonatal unit for over a hundred days, and so she alone had eight thousand pages of medical notes. So, what the police had to do was package up all these notes for each baby, collate them, try and organise them, and send them off to Dowie Evans to review. And then all they could do was wait. And then. The reports started coming back from Dr Evans and a term that we all became very familiar with during the trial was used over and over again in his reports. And Nicola Evans, who we heard from on the court steps at the top of the episode, told us about the moment that detectives opened and read those reports. We believed we'd find a natural cause. We thought we would speak to the experts and the experts would tell us what had happened Mm. to these children to these babies, we never anticipated the experts to come back to tell us that they'd been inflicted harm. Um, and so when they did, that was a huge point in the investigation. That term, inflicted harm, was in those reports from Dr Dowie Evans, and that was the term that changed everything. Yes, and over a period of many weeks, months, the gravity of the case began to become apparent that they were dealing with something quite enormous that potentially a member of staff, possibly a nurse, was attacking and killing tiny, premature babies under the noses of her colleagues. So the team of officers at Cheshire Police grew from six to 60. The Home Office then started to fund this investigation and we should say that's only done in a a handful, really, of cases where an inquiry is so huge Mm. or deemed to be so huge that it will impact day-to-day policing. The officers then moved out of Cheshire Police HQ and, in fact, they moved into a different building Mm -hmm. and that was so they could just dedicate themselves wholly to this case. And that was the start of Operation Hummingbird. And quite quickly, Paul Hughes told us that he was faced with, well, a conundrum, really. How was he going to go about investigating potentially dozens of attacks on babies on this unit? So what he decided was that he'd split them up and investigate them individually. And this is what he told us about why he made that decision. I decided that we would allocate one case per detective. And, and the reason I decided to do that was two reasons. One, it gives a unique ownership to a detective that they don't usually get, but it also separates the potential sharing of the information initially so that other people's 
mindset would be altered by what they've heard in another investigation. So initially is keep it separate, keep a sterile corridor of evidence. So allow people to come to determination of what they were finding on their own. And then at the right time, introducing then weekly team meetings of all the detectives together with the analysts where they would start sharing information. It was chilling really at times to see it, it drop into effect. So a detective would go on to give the update of their investigation and the fact that, well, what happened in my case was, according to the medical evidence, the collapse took place at this time. At this time, Lucy, Lucy Letby's designated nurse went on a break, handing over care to Lucy Letby. The parents left and the child collapsed. To hear another detective go, oh my God, that's exactly what happened in my case. And now people are saying, my God, that is exactly what I've seen. And as Paul said there, the patterns of how these babies collapsed and died were chilling. I mean, you get prickles on the back of your neck when he says that. So just to sort of sum up what he says there and explain it a little bit more... He asked all the detectives to investigate a different incident, a different baby. Mm -hmm. And they didn't share. They didn't share the information. But then after a while, he brought them back. And they started having meetings. Yeah. And they were saying, well, this is what happened in my case. And as he says there, and it is, as he says, chilling, another detective would say, well, hang on, that happened in my case. Another one would say, well, what, she went on a break Mm -hmm. and then the parents left and then Lucy Letby was left alone and suddenly these overlaps that he calls chilling. And, you know, the police admit that there was no smoking gun in this case. You know, no one really saw her do anything untoward. There was no one that caught her red-handed. So what they needed to do was build up this forensic circumstantial case against her and that happened by them putting together shift rotors swipe data from the electronic doors text messages that she'd sent they looked at the computerized nursing notes the handwritten nursing notes and all the logs and cross-referenced everything Mm. they reconstructed a forensic minute-by-minute account of where each doctor was, where each nurse was, before and after every baby collapsed. In fact, you could kind of look at it like the most complicated jigsaw puzzle that you've ever had Mm. to piece together. You know, it was a lot of circumstantial evidence, but in the end, it was enough. Yeah, I mean, as you said, there was no smoking gun. There was no one who saw her do anything, as you said, untoward. But isn't that the point? She was a nurse. If you're a parent seeing a nurse inject something down a long line, why would you Well, you could sit and watch her do that and you would not think that in any way she was doing anything other than her job. So by this point, the police knew that they had an awful lot of circumstantial evidence. What they had crucially was the fact that What seemed to be happening was that when they reconstructed all of these collapses and deaths, the same person was around, around the unit or on duty or was covering or was filling in or was just involved. So a year after they first began this inquiry, they needed to speak to that person. So at 6am, 
On July the 3rd in 2018, detectives travelled from Winsford to Chester to arrest Lucy Letby. The night before, she'd returned from holiday to Torquay with her parents and actually she was smiling as she answered the door yeah, in her pyjamas. The police told us she answered the door with a smile on her face, which is staggering to me. That smile fell though, Liz, when officers told her why they were there. And in fact, we actually have the moment that the police have given to us, released from the police body cam of that morning when they knocked on that door. Now, the audio is not amazing. What you hear is the officer knocking on the door, identifying himself, which we have removed because that is an undercover detective who can't be identified, and Lucy Letby letting him into her house. Hello, Lucy, is it? Yes. Hello, my name's Cheshire Police. Okay, step in two seconds. Oh, uh, yes? Yeah, thank you. Is there anybody else? Yeah, not a problem. I'm just going to put you in the back seat over here. Hold on, Lance. Yeah. Okay, just take a seat in there for me, Lucy. I'll move that seat forward a bit. Sure. Yeah, I just had knee surgery. So. Oh, right, okay. And you'll remember, Caroline, that when she began giving evidence in her defence, Lucy Letby made a real point of describing how traumatised and upset she'd been by that arrest process and how it left her suffering from PTSD. But crucially, the police officers we've spoken to about that day said they saw very little emotion. She had to come in under arrest, so we arrested her. How was she during that process? She was emotionless. She cooperated, she answered the questions, she was clinical. Yeah, this is somebody that's never been involved with the police before in her life and she's arrested for murder and she's, I think at the time, you know, eight murders, six attempted murders, I think it was her first arrest. And then she's brought into custody and she's subject of a warrant to further detention and at no point did she appeared to be struggling with with anything. She was quiet, she wasn't obstructive, but she answered the questions, she dealt with everything. Um, Controlled? Controlled. After three days of questioning after that first arrest, she was released, but she was arrested again at her parents' house in Hereford a year later in June 2019 and then again in November 2020. And in total, she was questioned for around 21 hours before she was finally charged. This case was so complicated, though, that it took another two years before it came to court. And, you know, it's taken 10 months of evidence, much longer than actually was initially anticipated. The estimate at the beginning was six months. Six months, which was already a a really long trial. Yeah, exactly. But that was due to the sheer volume of evidence and information. So, I mean, I can look at the numbers here, Caroline, just tell you that, you know, just to give you an idea, there was 5,900 pages of statements, Mm. 34,177 pages of exhibits, 12,850 pages of audio transcripts, And 246 witnesses either gave statements or came to court in Manchester. Just to add there, Liz, that's the amount of evidence that got to court. Of course, 
an awful lot of evidence that the police oh, would never have made the cut. Yeah. Didn't get to court. Yeah, so yeah. this was just the most vast investigation. Yeah, it's absolutely huge. It's the biggest, you know, longest trial that I've ever covered. And, you know, testament to Cheshire Police and the CPS today, they got those guilty verdicts. And, you know, for every family in the case. Janet Moore is one of the seven family liaison officers who's been looking after the parents of the babies. She spoke on their behalf on the steps of the court. Words cannot effectively explain how we are feeling at this moment in time. We are quite simply stunned. To lose a baby is a heartbreaking experience that no parent should ever have to go through. But to lose a baby or to have a baby harmed in these particular circumstances is unimaginable. Over the past seven to eight years, we've had to go through a long, torturous and emotional journey. From losing our precious newborns and grieving their loss, Seeing our children who survived, some of whom are still suffering today, to being told years later that their death or collapse might be suspicious. Nothing can prepare you for that news. Today, justice has been served and a nurse who should have been caring for our babies has been found guilty of harming them. But this justice will not take away from the extreme hurt, anger and distress that we've all had to experience. Some families did not receive the verdict that they expected and therefore it is a bittersweet result. We are heartbroken, devastated, angry and feel numb. We may never truly know why this happened. We'll be back on Monday with another episode. That's a special episode that we'll be releasing in the morning. And in fact, all of next week, we have special reports of all of the details of this trial. But before we finish, we wanted to remind you of who is at the heart of this trial. The people in this case that we can't name. The babies. Baby A, the twin boy, who was the first to die at Lucy Letby's hand. Baby B, she was Baby A's twin sister, who was attacked with air and thankfully survived. Baby C, the tiny, feisty baby boy who fought for five hours before he died in his parents' arms. Baby D, the full-term baby girl who was murdered aged three days. Baby E, an identical twin boy. He and his brother were only born at the Countess because there were no specialist cots near their parents' home. He died. Baby F, baby E's twin brother, and the first baby poisoned with insulin. He survived. Baby G, a miracle baby born at 23 weeks in a hospital toilet. She survived. Baby H, a baby girl born early because her mother was a diabetic. She survived. Baby I, a baby girl whose parents Lucy Letby sent a condolence card to after she murdered her, saying she would never be forgotten. Baby J, who was described by nurses as a nice little baby whose identical twin sister died in the womb. She survived. Baby Kay, a tiny baby girl born at 25 weeks, who survived Lucy Letby's attack, but died aged three days. Baby L, the second twin boy poisoned with insulin. He survived. Baby M was Baby L's twin brother. 
He survived after doctors restarted his heart after 30 minutes of CPR. Baby N, the baby boy born with haemophilia, he survived. Baby O was the first triplet to die. The boys were incredibly rare because they'd been conceived naturally. Baby P was Baby O's brother. Lucy Letby dressed both boys in matching outfits after she murdered them. Baby Q was the final baby. He survived. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.